0: Hey everybody, this is Luis, and you're listening to the Ordinary Yogi Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation instructor that happens to cuss and at times be wildly inappropriate. On this show, I break down the woo-woo teachings of yoga and connect them to the real world. My goal is to show you that you don't have to live or look a certain way for yoga to affect you physically, spiritually, and mentally. You can be an ordinary yogi just like me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ordinary Yogi Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome, something that I'm very, very familiar with. And I just felt it was important to share some things that I found out, you know, through the research for this episode that might be able to help us overcome this very, very common thing that I feel everyone at a certain point may deal with. Uh, As far as, you know, my story, when it comes to (laughs) just about most things, I've had this feeling of... I'm a complete fraud. I'm going to get found out at any second now. Um, You know, when it came to being promoted to the rank I'm at now and managing people and, you know, doing this podcast, leading yoga classes, there's always a bit of resistance of, I don't want to be found out. I'm not, I don't feel as competent as maybe I perceive to be. So before we get into all that, let's go ahead and define what is imposter syndrome. So this is from verywellmind.com. Pretty self-exported, nice and sweet uh, definition is, Imposter syndrome is an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be, as as if you are a fraud. So there's a definition for this all intents and purposes of this episode. So you may have experienced something similar like that where... Uh, like I said, just change I think brings that a lot uh, because we're afraid to step out of what we're comfortable with. Then when we start experiencing new things, we just feel like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm going to get found out. Oh, God. So this all ties back through yoga to what are called chitta vrittis or mental fluctuations. I mentioned this a couple episodes back. And these mental fluctuations, if you imagine a pond and you like the reflection of the pond is how you see life. Now, Every time you experience something, everything in the past, uh, the way you look at life, your perception, as is, it's as if you throw a little pebble in that pond and then it begins to ripple. What that does is that it causes you to see that reflection in a skewed way, right? So these mental fluctuations is what causes a lot of our... Um, Just issues, I guess, the best put it that way, the way we look at things. You know, these are all things based on shit that happened a long time ago, or you know, what we think may be happening, but these are all mental fluctuations. In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the main purpose of yoga is to lessen these mental fluctuations. Why this is important is because it is said that the fritis or the chitta fritis are the thoughts, right? These cause our thoughts. And then these thoughts, if left unchecked, can then turn into what are called samaskaras. Samaskaras are basically our habits or our ways of being. And once those samaskaras are set, it's like being in a rut and you're stuck. And it's very hard to overwrite these if they're left unchecked. If we continue down this rut, then that creates our life, how we look at things, how we experience things. So it's very important to look at it as if Our thoughts ultimately control and create our life, and it's it's, so pretty. Getting a little deep on this episode, but these chitta vritti's are very important, and I think knowing about them, uh, the way I'm going to explain them, can maybe just build that awareness, and then maybe we can start to look at things a little bit differently, or just at least identify like, huh, maybe this is that, and not what I'm actually thinking. So there are five types of vritti's. The first one is right knowledge so this is the vritti that you know you would like to have the most of you know majority of the time and it said it's from you know something that you sense so you know I see a fire in front of me and i can feel it i can see it then i know that it is actually there it's based on my senses it can also be based on logic so if i see smoke i can logically assume that there's a fire or something you know, like that nearby. It could also be come from testimony from a guru or someone that you really really trust. So this one's, you know, in this day and age anyway, it's kind of hard to decipher, right? Because it's really hard to say who's, what is the intent and purposes of this person? What are they trying to get across? Why are they saying these things? So this one you got to be a little more careful with. But for, you know, the right knowledge, it's all things that you can fact. I can see it. I can feel it. I can taste it. Or I can logically you know, put the piece together and this is right knowledge. The next one is wrong knowledge. So this is based on anything that is false. Um, you know, stories, gossip that we're told, uh, things that we're, you know, that are just wrong. You know, two plus two is five, uh, all that sort of stuff. And this one, I think hopefully we can discern what is right and what is wrong. And in this day and age, it's a lot more difficult to do that. But just again, building the awareness, I think, is really important. The third one is, is fantasy. So this comes from imagination. So this knowledge is knowledge based on absolutely nothing. And we can kind of look at this as delusion. Or, you know, when I have a bad habit of like thinking of worst possible case scenarios on things that have not happened or fucking probably will not happen. But I start to think and keep going down this rabbit hole and then I usually need to stop myself. So I see this as, um, you know, oh, everybody you know thinks I'm this or I look like a fool because of uh, this person the way they looked at me these are all things that were based on nothing right these are just our assumptions or our delusions a little bit so that is fantasy the next one is sleep and it is said that sleep has no mental impressions we have no samaskars. our mind is kind of off at that point but it is a state of mind still and that's why they mention it here in the in the yoga sutras the last one uh probably probably the most important one i think is everything based on memory. So based on our experiences and our past. So here, you know, I can say when I was a kid, I touched a hot pot and I burned myself. Based on that experience, I know that if I do that again, I'm going to hurt myself, so I'm going to avoid doing that. However, when we experience something, especially when we're a lot younger, it kind of skews our perception on a lot of things that are happening today. So again, memory and experiences or another one of those things, we need to kind of tread lightfully and really start to discern what is actual right knowledge or what is, you know, fantasy delusion, what is just based on memory or bad experiences that I've had in the past. So these are the three types of, or excuse me, the five types of rittis that cause our thoughts, again, then cause our habits, then cause our life. And as I was doing this research, you know, for this episode, I was just thinking back, like, you know what, this stuff was made thousands of years ago. And I just kind of like, every time I read more about it, I was like, man, this is like super psychological, fucking knowing how the mind works and how how our thoughts affect us and everything like that. So I just thought it was really fascinating that, you know, thousands of years ago, someone wrote this stuff down. And now a lot of our, you know, current psychological kind of way we look at things, the way we look at the mind is very, very parallel. And I just thought that was kind of cool. I don't know. Maybe you think it's this cool or not. Maybe not. I don't know. So these are the vrittis. So how do we combat this imposter syndrome? One of the biggest things I found was from the Bhagavad Gita. I'm going to get that right one day. In Sloka 2.47. I'm going to read it to you. It's a very probably one of the more famous uh, parts of the, of the Gita. But I think there's a lesson here. I've always looked at the second part and never at the first part. So I'll read the whole thing to you. And it is, you have the right to perform your prescribed duties. But you are not entitled to the fruits of your actions. Never consider yourself to be the cause of the results of your activities, nor be attached to inaction. So I've always looked at the second part, meaning you're not entitled to the fruits of your actions. I've kind of harped on that in this podcast a lot of times, that you can do the work, but that's all you can really control or do. Everything else is left up to whatever. But the first part that you are you have the right to perform your prescribed duties, and this is where I was like, "Oh, this part itself is so, actually very, very important as well, because you got to think of, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do, whatever it is that you have this feeling over, you have to remind yourself that you are entitled to this duty. You have the right to work this beautiful effort that you get to put out into the world." is yours and yours alone. And you can do whatever it is you want about it. And I think that's such a powerful thing because we limit ourselves so much, including myself, to fear of failure, fear of what people are going to think, fear of thinking people think you're a fraud. But you have the right and are entitled to do this work, whatever it is put in front of you, whether it be a promotion, whether it be a new venture, all this shit, you have this beautiful opportunity to do that. And I think that's a really powerful thing that you have the right And you are dependent on your efforts. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I took from this sloka that I've never really looked at before. But looking at through the lens of imposter syndrome, I think we can take a little bit away from that, just reminding ourselves that we are entitled to do whatever it is we want to do. And this ties into, you know, dharma or, you know, the right path or the righteous path. And that we owe it to ourselves and maybe, you know, not to think so fucking grandiose, but to the world or at least the the ones around us to do the things that we want to do. If I get a promotion and I just feel like oh, I just I don't know I can't do it, I owe it to myself to give myself a fucking shot and to do it just for the sake of doing it and not worrying about anything else. Because people are gonna talk shit or not talk shit. That's just how people are. But also seeing again now being a dad. I want my son to see me pursue things without fear because I'm putting that example again, look, trying to teach through my actions and not through my words. And I want him to grow up like that, seeing that thing. So that way when he, when his time comes to do something that's a little scary for him, he's going to remember, hopefully, hey, I've seen dad do this. Maybe he can help me or maybe just seeing it will just let him know that it's okay to be afraid, but we've got to do it anyway because our dharma, our purpose whatever, if it's just this one thing put in front of us, that is our duty, and we have the right and entitlement to do it. So let's fucking do it. All right, let's add all that aside. Let's talk about some actual steps that we can take one by one to help us get over this imposter syndrome. Whenever we're paralyzed with this fear that we're not good enough, not worthy, all that good stuff, or bad stuff, I should say. The first one is having a good sense of or a good degree of discernment. Being able to tell what is fact and what is fiction. I had this experience when I was deployed recently. Uh, You know, I was with a bunch of guys, same rank as me. And I sat around and I had this, again, this feeling of imposture. Like, I shouldn't be at this table. These guys are so much more experienced than me. They know so much more than I do. And I'm just this guy just fucking sitting here nodding my head. But then I had a, you know, had a talk with myself afterwards and I really started to discern, okay, is this fact or is this fiction? It's like, yes, they have more experience than me, maybe. I guess These are things I'm assuming. It's okay, all right, so that's not true. And then I asked, has anybody actually made me feel that way? Like, have they said anything to me? And I, I had like crickets. I couldn't answer. I said, well, no, I'm the only one that's making myself feel this way. So I was able to discern the facts from the stories I was telling myself. And then once you have all those facts... Stick to those facts, write them down, whatever it is, put it in your note, stick to the facts. So whenever you have these feelings again, refer to those and just be like, are these just feelings or are these facts? And I think that is going to, you know, help change your perspective or at least remind you of, um, you know, maybe I'm just feeling my feelings and I'm just feeling a certain way. It's not based on actually nothing real, right? On that right knowledge. So as much as you can pit those feelings and evidence against each other, and that's the next step. Pitting those two things against each other, whenever those feelings do come up, and majority of the time, once you kind of get into this, you know, observer state, you're not so much in your feelings. You can kind of be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm just feeling this way. Nothing is actually causing me. It's just am I'm in my own head. The last thing, or the next second last thing, is share. We can share with somebody. And the more we talk about it with somebody, maybe they can reassure us. Maybe they can share like, hey, I felt the same way, dude. And it's a normal thing. And I'm telling you right now, if you're feeling this way, it's a normal thing. And the last one I want to share, the last step is uh, based on experience I had, is, hey, fucking nobody knows what they're doing a lot of the time. They're just faking it just like you feel you are. And this is based on, you know, once I got promoted to the rank I'm at now, I started being a part of all these meetings that they're always behind closed doors. And it's like, man, what goes on in there? Like, it must be some like serious shit. So now I'm here, this you know, the rank of what I'm at, and I'm sitting at these tables and I'm looking around. And the realization I come to is like, oh shit. Nobody knows what they're doing a lot of the time. They're just winging it as fucking just like I am. And that whole thing just like, made me exhale like, oh, okay, I can do this because I see everybody else here. We're all on the same page. A lot of times we don't know what the hell's going on. And that's just what it is. Uh I was also reminded of a story back in my last unit. I, I had we had this family. Um, we grew really close to. Shout out to the Blair's out there. Um here, the husband Stephen, he he worked uh with me. And when he left, I kind of wanted to give him a a special gift or whatever. I don't know. But, I, you know, we got him a going-away gift, but I wanted to give him some words. And it wasn't just like, oh, we're really going to appreciate you. We're going to miss you. All that kind of normal stuff. But, I, you know, I had seen him grow while he was there. Granted, we're the same age, but just like I saw the difference in him when he left. And I kind of pulled him aside. And I feel like he had a good amount of imposter syndrome a lot of time he was there. Um, he was always tasked to do Something that was a little bit outside of his comfort zone. And to me, I felt because people knew he would get it done. But he always had this worry of like, not that he couldn't do it, but he just wanted to do a really good job of it. And he didn't want to mess it up. And I think that's really admirable. So I, you know, I pulled him aside the last time I saw him, actually. And I told him, you know what? Whenever you're feeling this way, stick to, I want you to, to remember, when you were tasked with this thing, you were pretty nervous. I remember us talking about it. And he's like, yeah. But look, you made it through. And you did a fucking awesome job. And later on that year, you were tasked with this. And you kind of were nervous as well, right? You want to do a really good job. And he agreed. And I told him, yeah, bold. And you did it. And now you're like the same rank as me. And that's awesome. So I just wanted to remind him that, you know, whenever you're feeling this way, stick to those facts, and take a deep breath and knowing I've been here before and I can make it out. And I think hopefully that he took that, I don't know, feels feels a little bit better. But that's all I really had this week. Um, the conclusion I came to is, you know, we all have a, there's a price to pay for absolutely everything in life. And imposter syndrome is one of those hurdles we have to get over. Now, we can pay for that on the front end by being very, very uncomfortable for a little bit. You know, it is what it is. But that uncomfort, you know, builds character, it builds resilience, it's necessary for any tor- sort of growth. So we can pay that now, or we can pay it later. And by later, I mean, you know, if when it comes to doing things, venturing out, trying new things, uh, uh, trying to take on a new promotion, that later may be just a huge amount of regret. And my God, that is a very hefty price to pay on the back end of it, because time is not a renewable resource, right? We only have fucking a little bit of time on this earth to do whatever it is we're here to do. So we might as well get to doing. And this brings me to a story I remember hearing about one of the books, I think it was from Robert Green. Um, so there was this two guys chopping down trees and there were these big fucking redwood trees. And one guy was just consistently chopping away, chopping away, chopping away. And it took a really long time. The guy next to him would chop, chop, chop. And he would sit his axe down and just kind of like look at the tree. He's like, it's going to take forever to get this tree down. He's like, oh, God. And he'd pick the axe back up and start chopping, chopping, chopping. Then he'd put it down and he'd go complain, like, I just don't know if I can do this. Like, look at this tree. It's huge. Like, God damn. It's like, I don't know. Then he'd pick up the axe and chop and chop and chop and chop. The man that was consistently always showing up and just taking swing after swing after swing eventually chop that tree down in a much faster rate than the guy that can continue to stop, continue to stop out of fatigue, out of doubt, out of whatever it is. Right? So the the point of the story is we got to keep chopping wood, man, and fall in love with the process and really just focus on chopping down that fucking tree. Don't worry about anything else, what people are thinking, whatever, because, Whatever it is you're doing ultimately should be for you or of service to something else. And when you have those two things in your pocket, nothing should give you fear, right? Because the intention is all there and that's all you need. If you like this episode and you want to leave me a rating review, that would be super awesome. Or take a snapshot, show it on your social medias, share it with somebody, Uh, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. If you have any ideas for any future episodes, please send me a message. I would be so happy to cover some stuff for you. And that is all I have. I appreciate you all listening. I love you guys. And I will talk to you next week.